welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. This is part three of a mini-series inside a big series, which is part 20. You, you know that I, I make Mitchell cry himself to sleep sometimes, I'm sure he's... That's my doctor, pastor. He's number three of number 20 of the series, the mini series inside the series and like, and then he fixes all my language. So sorry, just how it is in my brain. And if your brain don't look like mine, then you need to get born again. <laughs> mine's right. I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> Somebody lay hands on that guy. This is, part this is part three of Heroes Do Hard Things inside the series of The Hero Within. That's the two core verses that we have for The Hero Within, which is every one of you. I'm not, I'm not trying to convince you to let Jesus move in and be a hero inside you, I'm telling you there's already a hero inside. Amen. I want you to embrace the hero on the inside of you and then you will be a hero on the outside of you. And like in, a, in accordance with this, I want you to be that, that incognito camouflage secret agent of heaven where you just come in, everybody's like, oh, they look fairly normal except for the... 1980s bangs. <laughs> Sorry. I repent. I was making fun of my sister. She did weird stuff with her hair today. <laughs> and it's just, you'll get, you'll be all right. I'll make a hero out of you yet. And Stop. So it's always Tammy. And I want you to walk into the situation and nobody think there's anything special about you. You're just regular Joe average or Josephine average person walking into the room. And then it's like, wham! You can heal people? No, but the one on the inside of me can. You're not depressed over the same thing I'm depressed about? Oh, God, no. I got Jesus. Amen. That's you're not, you're not uh, fearful and worried about the things that are going on in the world like everybody else? Are you for real? Do you not know what the end of the book says? Have you ever read the book? Do you want me to give you a book? And then you are going to be the person that represents God's truth, justice, and the kingdom way for them to see. And I believe, eventually, that everybody in this room, there will come a time in your life that someone's going to say, you know what, that person was a hero in my life. Our world is so desperately short of heroes. And God has given you all the assets that you need to be a hero. And if it kills me, I'm going to convince you that you are. Proverbs 16:3, God said, "The godly people in the land, they are my true heroes." In order for you to be a hero with your neighbor, a hero with your family, a hero with your spouse, a hero with the average populace, you first have to be a hero for God. You got to live your life first for God 
and then everything else flows out of that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his way of right living, and then everything that you need in your natural life will be added to you. I need to be a hero to my Father in heaven first before I can be a hero to Kay, a hero to my kids, a hero to my church. Because otherwise, I'm just as cartoon as all the other heroes in our society today. Just fake. It's just made up. It's just, it's just good art. And that is not what God's intended for us to be. He doesn't want any cartoons. He doesn't want any fake. He wants the authentic, genuine person that he created you to be, and that is a hero. And some of you think, well, I don't feel like a hero. Do you need me to go back to the feely thing? Do, do I need to re-preach that? No. I don't look like a hero. W what does a hero look like? We're, we're so mucked up by culture and society that we think that it's like Superman or Batman or something. You, you think those are the heroes? I'm going to tell you a story later that has nothing to do with Batman's Superman exterior. In fact, this particular person, well, well I'm just going to read you the story. My message, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> Irene Sendler was a Polish hero, a Catholic woman who saved at least 2,500 Jewish children who were holed up in the Warsaw, the Warsaw ghetto that the Nazis had erected when they invaded Poland in 1940. A lot of people don't know this, but when the Nazis invaded Poland, they literally built, this is where the word ghetto comes from, grotto, they built a city inside the city, they walled it off, gated it off, fenced it off, and 400,000 Jews had to live in there. And many of them just starved to death. Disease killed them and starvation killed them. And Irene was a social worker her responsibility, obviously, was to take care of the welfare people, so she got to go in there every once in a while, and she decided that she was going to do everything she could in her power to rescue people. And she started with the orphans, because nobody really knew how to keep track of them. Obviously, the Nazis didn't care. Some of the Jews didn't care. The Polish people didn't care, so she started with the least of these. And when she'd rescued all of the orphans that she could, she went to the parents and said, you do realize this is going to end terrible. Give me your children. And was able, as a little lady, a nurse, not pretty, not big and strong. She couldn't fly. She didn't have lightning bolts that came out of her eye sockets. She had love and saved 2,500 lives. They arrested her in 1943, put her in a Nazi prison in Germany, and tortured her. And she never gave up a single name of anyone in the network that was rescuing children out of the grotto in Warsaw while she was being tortured in a Nazi prison in Germany. They were still rescuing children because they were inspired by what she did. And you've never heard her name. She was able to convince parents to give her children that she could smuggle. But in order to do this, she had to build a network. That is a key principle to heroism. Heroes are most effective, not alone, but in a network. It's through forming a network that people have the resources to bring their heroic impulses to life. 
An isolated person is never a hero. Why do you think the enemy wants you to be that way? An isolated Christian is a defeated Christian. And there's a bunch of people that brag about the fact that they are isolated as Christians. They don't need a pastor. They don't need a church. They don't need authentic Christian people in their lives. They got preacher YouTube preachers, and they got their own way of living. And they're defeated. They're defeated. They won't admit it because they're too haughty and self-righteous and proud, but they're defeated. They will accomplish nothing for the kingdom of God. And they'll spend their whole life, 80, 90 years, spinning their wheels and calling it good. Heroes come out of community. Colossians 1:27. this is the great mystery that Irene Sendler had. Again, a name you've never heard. I don't care if the world ever knows Steve Castle. I hope you care, you don't care that the world ever knows your name, but what will the world say about what you did, how you lived? I want to be famous to the ones that God wants me to be famous to. I don't care if that's K. If that's who he wants me to be famous to, if that's who he calls me to be a hero to, I'm going to be a hero to K. You need to know who you're called to be a hero for. Some of, some of us are probably called to do national or international things. Some of you ain't. This isn't about getting a million Facebook followers. This is about being who God ordained for you to be. And it's a mystery that you need to search out. God did this because he wanted you Gentiles. I crossed off Gentiles in my Bible and I put beloved. The ones that are greatly loved. Not beloved church, beloved, you. Obviously we're all Gentiles. Well, most of us. Got one German Jew. She'll, she'll fix us all. Fix us all. You, uh, you beloved, to understand his wonderful and glorious mystery. And the mystery is that Christ lives in you. Jesus don't take a nap. Jesus don't go on vacation. Jesus don't go to bed when you go to bed. Jesus don't have a bad day when you have a bad day. On the inside of you right now is the God of the universe who never sleeps, never slumbers, never has a bad day, is filled with grace and truth. And the mystery is, is that he's living right now fully on the inside of you, but he wants to live fully on the outside of you. <clears throat> but he can't get there without your permission. And he, Jesus, is your hope <clears throat> of sharing in God's glory. A defining characteristic of a courageous or a brave person is their willingness to do the hard thing. Amen. That, yep. No, no, no. Sit down. The standing ovation for that statement is just overwhelming. Everybody loves to hear the message on doing the hard thing. That's what you came here for. I want to hear the message that's really hard, really challenging, makes me be deeply introspective and work on, no. Average person shows up like, all right, preacher, ready, go. Now make me feel better. Right, make me smile, make me laugh. Defining characteristic of a courageous or a brave person is their willingness to do the hard thing. Heroes do the hard things. Nobody does the hard thing because they want to. Let me, let me say it again. Nobody. Did I, did I catch anybody in the room? Nobody does the hard thing because they want to. 
They do it because it's right. And I want to paint a little picture of this because I think sometimes we get, we get full, full Christianity, face, fake, false Christianity, what I call churchianity, and authentic Christianity mixed up. Authentic Christianity is like, hey, rainbows, butterflies, and Jesus, and we're just going to have potlucks every Sunday and extra dessert. That's not real Christianity. Real Christianity is come and die. Lay your life down for another. Come take up your cross and follow me. Whoa, 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 Jesus. Easy with the cross talk. Can I just have blessings and, and love and fun and everybody makes me feel good and pets me and tells me how wonderful I am and gives me the prophecy I want? Jesus loves you. You're going to be rich. I know, that's my favorite prophecy. <clears throat> so I'm going to paint a little picture of a hero that we all know who lived perfectly, Christ. And I'm going I'm to take you through an example of him doing a hard thing that I will guarantee there were zero warm fuzzies. There were zero tingles. He didn't feel the brush of angel's wings on his cheeks. On the morning that he woke up to die. The day he woke up to die, he did not jump out of bed and say, come on, guys. Let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane so I can have so much stress that I sweat blood. Let's skip on over to the garden. Woohoo! And while we're in the garden, they're going to arrest me. Yay! Popularity! And we'll all sing together. And if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> like, like zombies in here. Well, he said something. <laughs> and, and hey, we're going to go to Golgotha, the place of the skull. If everybody's with me, give me a big amen. Being facetious, <laughs> there was no amens. There was no warm fuzzies. There was, there was no, he was so giddy with excitement over all the stuff and the things. He was going to die. He was going to be tortured and then die. He was going to be nailed to a cross, y'all. He was going to be killed by people he created. He was going to be killed by people that he was dying for. You think that didn't break his heart? You think he was bebopping around all day on his last day, just exuding happiness and telling jokes, and everybody had all the tingles on the back of their neck, like, ooh, today's an extra specially good day. No, y'all. He's, he was human like us. He knew what he was going into. He knew the cost. He knew what was going to happen to him. Now, he still was solid on the inside. But I'm saying he had to do a hard thing. He had to make his flesh come into alignment. He had to make his mentality come into alignment. Why do you think he was praying in the garden? He had to get his mind right. So if you're waiting for just this, this overwhelming uh, overtaking emotion or, or, or thing to drop out of heaven like a glory cloud on you to go and do the hard thing. Okay, well, now I'm feeling it. Now I really want to go and do the hard. It ain't never going to happen, and you've been deceived. You have to choose to do the hard thing when you don't want to do it, when you don't like it, when everybody tells you that you're stupid, when nobody wants you to do it, even if you stand alone, then you have to do the hard thing. That's what creates a hero. 2 Timothy 3.1, the famous prophecy of Jesus loves you. 
But understand this, in the last days, terrible times will come. Stupid Bible verse. Can, can I have a different one? Alex, can I buy a vowel? This is, this is in the Bible too. Th this is true. Does anybody think that we're getting into the last days? One or two of you? you? You know what happens in the last days? Here, let me help you. Look up here. It gets terrible. <laughs> Yay, favorite message ever. Now, it doesn't have to be terrible for you. I know. This is where I lose a bunch of people. They just like, look at you like a dog. Like, what? It doesn't have to be terrible for you. It's going to be terrible. It's raining outside. You don't have to be wet. But it's raining outside. You can have an umbrella. You can stay inside. You, there, there's a lot of things to do about the rain outside. Other than, ah, it's raining outside. Come on, honey. Let's go outside and be cold and wet. No. In the last days, terrible times are going to come. I'm warning you. I'm preparing you. There's going to be terrible things that are going to come up to you and want to hug you and embrace you. And you don't have to hug them. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're, we're not in the business of terrible over here. You just take your terrible and go to the neighbor's house because they have been prophesying terrible for years. You can go down to CNN. They're the ones that created terrible. I'm just telling you, this is the Bible. The deeper we get into end times, the more you're going to have an opportunity to experience terrible or overcome. And the problem is, is that we have a majority of Christianity that think that it's your responsibility to avoid both. Okay, I'm going to avoid the terrible. And I'm not really going to overcome because that's going to take a lot of spiritual effort and, and strength and, and it might have scars and all that kind of stuff. But I don't want to be in the terrible, so what am I going to do? Well, just go downstream with all the other fishies and be in a school of trout and hope that you're not the one that gets caught with the hook. Because that's what the world's doing. Well, if I avoid the terrible, and if I don't do really ultra-Christianity, so then the devil will leave me alone, and the world will leave me alone, right? Right? If, I, if, I'm just, if I'm just gray, if I'm just like everybody else, if I'm just normal, average, if I don't cause any problems, if I don't stir up, if, if I'm just, nobody will even know. Head down, walk fast, don't talk, clock in, clock out, leave me alone. This is, this is the philosophy that most believers have. I don't want to be that passionate, wheels-off, fervent guy. He's weird. Do you see him raising his hands in worship? What's that all about? Berean says, oh, the uh, NASB says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Does that make it any better? We went from terrible to difficult. The King James says, perilous. This is how I memorized it when we were kids. Like, this is one of those verses that we memorized good when we were kids. Perilous times are going to come. Great. We, we need to get a bomb shelter, fill it with spam. Hopefully, they're going to invent AR-15s by then. And we're going to hide from the Antichrist because he's going to come and get us all like a boogeyman. That's what, I mean, I'm not lying, ask mom. That, that is what we learned. Like, it, it's going down. You know, Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist and, and Jimmy Nixon, uh, whatever. The, all, every president that we've ever had since when I was a kid was the Antichrist, and then they weren't. <laughs> Which is that? And then, they, then it was Gorbachev, because he had the Antichrist mark on his head. Anybody remember him? Like, he was the Antichrist, and then... Man, I, I remember one time I asked one of the, one of the elders at the church, like, how many antichrists are there? Well, there's supposed to be one big one. I'm like, well, how many little ones? Well, all of them. They're all antichrists. I'm like, we're doomed. <laughs> doomed. There's more antichrists than Christians. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes, right? 
<clears throat> Zechariah chapter 8, verse 6, and I'm using the Dewey Rames, which none of you guys have this, so I just listen to me say it or whatever they put up, I don't know. But Zechariah chapter 8, Zechariah and Haggai were contemporaries that lived in the time of Ezra when Ezra was trying to build the temple. This is a little bit before Nehemiah when he was called to build the wall. And I'm saying all that not to give you a history lesson, but to tell you that this was a time when God was starting the process of bringing his people out of Babylon and bring them back to himself, bring them back to Jerusalem, bring them back to the temple, bring them back to a safe city, bring them back into a form of jubilee. He was trying to work this in the land. He was trying to redeem his people from that great whore, Babylon, is what it talks about in Revelation. And this world is Babylon. And you are his people. And he's trying to call you, come out from among them. Be ye separate. And so he's trying to bring us out of this Babylonian system and bring this into his Edenic, Garden of Eden, heavenly kingdom of God system that he has for all of us to have. But some of us don't believe it. And this is Zechariah, no, this is Zechariah's day. Zechariah's prophesying, God wants to do all these great things. And then Haggai had the other side. Haggai was kind of like me, like John the Baptist, like, repent! Here, eat a grasshopper. <laughs> that, that was Haggai. He was the one that was kind of saying, get out of your sins, repent, stop being stupid. And Zechariah was saying, hey, Come into the ways of God. God wants to rescue you. God still loves you. God still cares about you. And so right here in the eighth chapter, this, these prophecies that Zechariah was giving to these people to try to convince them to come out of Babylon and go back home and be the people of God. He says, thus saith the, the Lord of hosts, if it seems hard in the eye, you have the Dewey Rames version? God bless you just dropped out of heaven. It's, man, now I'm throwing off. If it seems hard in the eyes of the remnant of this people in those days, shall it be hard in my eyes? And, and I know you're thinking like, well, duh, that's not a very deep scripture. But I want you to think about it. We, the way we see the world, the way we see our circumstances, the way we see what we're dealing with, we oftentimes think God sees it that way. Man, this is a hard thing I'm facing here, God. Okay, if you say so. Amen. Got any parents in the room? Remember when your kids were trying to tie their shoes? And then your mom just gave up and bought you Velcro? <laughs> Now I'm a doctor. <laughs> you know, your kid is like, ah! I have Velcro on right now. <laughs> well, it's transparency day today, ain't it? Your kid is like, this is so hard. I'm never going to get it. No, you'd make the dog ear and the other dog ear and then the rabbit goes through the hole. I don't know what they do now. But you're just like, kid, it's not hard. Stop crying. Right? Anybody else ever raise kids? Why are you crying? It's so hard. It's tying your shoes. It's so hard. No, it's not. Don't you know that God is that? He's way more gracious than I would have been. It was like, stop your crying. God is, God is like, it's not that hard, kid. No, don't you know? I, I got to make money in this world. Um, my streets are gold. But these, these people over here said terrible things about me on Facebook. And God's like, what's Facebook? You... You should have your face in the book. Why are you worried about the Facebook? What's Facebook? So people you don't know from places that aren't anywhere near you who don't know anything about you said bad stuff about you and you're crying? Oh, my Lord. 
stop it. <laughs> but God, it really hurt. How can that hurt you? How? How can somebody who has no value in your life or your heart say something about you and you're hurt by it? The only way that can happen is that you gave a random stranger the value to hurt you. You know what you just told all of us? That you're a person that's walking around looking for the next hurt. Because any random person at any random time can do something, say something, look at you a bad way. And now you're just hurt. A secret in my life, because I've had people call me, like literally, this just happened a couple days ago, because I got one of my threads is going wheels off right now with all my haters. And I had someone call me and say, Pastor Steve, and they love me, and they're good, I'm not trying to make fun of them. Like, Pastor Steve, did you see what they said about you on Facebook? They called you a pedophile. It's not true. Yeah, but they said it, and they said it like 50 times. If you say it 50 times, it doesn't make it any more true. <laughs> but it's in public. Everybody can see it. I'm like, okay. So someone who doesn't know me is convinced by some person who's making something up that I'm a pedophile? Okay. What am I going to do about that? If you don't know me, if you don't care to get to know me, if you don't do any research and you think bad stuff about me, whatever. Like, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to give them the power to do that in my heart and my life. When we were going through our fight with the government, I remember the, uh, Dennis Prager said this, and it has resonated with me ever since I heard him say it, that he said, if you do not let people's, criticism, if you do not let people's compliments get into your head, you'll never let people's criticisms get into your heart. And it, he could have hit me with a two-by-four across the face. Because I was, at that moment, sitting there moping and whining like, God, why don't you stop these people from saying terrible stuff about me? That ain't true. <laughs> you know I was complaining to Jesus. Who had all these terrible things said about him that wasn't true. Like, Thank God I wasn't Jesus, because if I was Jesus, I just would have sent lightning bolts like rain showers, like, choo, choo, choo. take that, oh, I'm what? Uh. Yeah, most high God. <laughs> oh, that's right, I'm judge too. <laughs> but he didn't. He didn't let those things affect him. There's only a few people, and I'm, I'm not trying to, to make some kind of a, a dogma. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feeling. Just please hear this from, from the transparency of my heart. There's only a few people's opinions on this earth that their words really do have value. And it's not because I prefer them more than other people. It's because I know that they actually have the Spirit of God and they have true discernment. Because when they say that I'm doing something wrong or I'm being stupid or I shouldn't do stuff, then I listen too. If all you have is people in your life that you give permission to say nice things to you about, then you're really never going to grow. You're never going to develop. You're never going to be somebody that God can use. Because God, if you cannot be corrected by people that God sends into your life, you cannot be corrected by the God that sent them. Did you all catch that? And I have a lot of folks that I know that say, well, I'm not going to let some man correct me. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, then you're just going to be a lost sheep. And there's going to be a lion that gobbles up your sorry little woolly butt. If you cannot be corrected by the people that God sends into your life, you cannot be corrected by the God that sent them. But if you allow everybody and every Facebook comment and every person that has an opinion, is anybody like me? Because I've got a couple opinions about stuff and things. Just a couple, just a few. If you let everybody's opinion, everybody's comment, everybody's criticism all the time, you will be decimated. Decimated. 
But if you don't have authentic people in your life that can criticize, but then can also exhort. You know, the word of God criticizes you. The word of God will rebuke you. The word of God will correct you. The word of God will bring conviction into your life. And it will build you up. And it will tell you what your identity is. And it will tell you about the mercy of God. It will tell you about the love of God. tell you about the heart of God. It will do both. And that's, that should be that way. You should have people in your life that have the ability to do both. And if you don't, it's probably because you've lived more. You are living now more from the hurts of people in the past than you are living from your authentic identity that God has for you to live from. Well, in the past, all these people have said terrible stuff to me. And? Well, that means everybody in the future is going to. Lie. Well, I, I went to a bad church once and they did bad things to me. And? Well, you're a church. Ah. We're not that church. Don't you dare. If you've ever been uh, divorced and remarried, you know the, the quickest way to get to your second divorce? Make your new spouse be like your old spouse. Well, you know what my old spouse used to do all the time? Well, this is going to last about 80 seconds. Right? How about this one for all you non-divorced people? You used to be this way. Think this way, act this way, talk this way, walk this way, and then you died and got born again. Anybody? Woo! Okay. One dead person. And now you're this way. You know, but you can actually be born again. You know, it's a real thing. It's not just some Christian cliche that we came up with. Like, how can we convince people to tithe more? Tell them they're born again. Check. Being born again means you died. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. This, this is like Christianity 101, but you know how many people don't get this? You used to be this terrible person that did all these terrible things, that thought this terrible way, that acted this terrible way, that, that drank terrible stuff, that, that did all the stuff. You know what I'm talking about. And then you died. You know, th this person over here got molested when they were five and, and, and kicked out of friend circles and, and their parents hated them and, and trauma and, and dysfunctional family and, and evil and misery and pain. And, and then they died. Heaven had a funeral and everything. Angels rejoiced. It was a big day in heaven. And they were born again. And this person here never existed. Never even existed before this moment. Brand new blank slate. And then this person says, well, let me tell you how painful it was when I was five. And what happened to me when I was five? is going to determine everything for the rest of my life. But you were born again. No, not for real. Heroism is, heroism is developed daily and disciplined into your character over time. Just like the enemy will discipline you into a good little minion of his over time. Hurt you and hurt you and hurt you and hurt you until you just do everything he wants you to do. The same is true the other way. If you learned how to be a really good sinner, anybody in the room? I did. I was chief of sinners. Okay, the three of you that are honest. If you knew how to be a really good sinner at one point in your life, let me tell you how awesome that is. Because if you can learn how to be a really good sinner, that means you have the capacity to learn how to be a really good saint. If this spiritual entity can teach you how to fail miserably, then this spiritual God can teach you how to be an overcomer and be in victory. Heroism is developed daily and disciplined into your character over time. Heroes are willing to put themselves at risk so that others can be rescued. Whew. 
The rewards of doing hard things are infinite and divine. The older I get, the more I see this. The rewards in my life for doing the right thing, for doing the hard thing, for doing the uncommon thing, are infinitely greater than what I see other people getting for doing the regular thing, for doing the easy thing, for cutting the corners and taking a shortcut. The consequences of doing the easy thing are painful and destructive. Our Heavenly Father is calling us to do the hard thing. Your adversary is pleading with you to do the easy thing. Philippians 3.14 says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling. The King James says the high calling. You have to press towards the high calling. What happens if you don't press? Low. I don't even know if a calling is on there. Just low. The only way to get to high calling is press. Pressing is hard. Anybody ever worked out? Anybody worked out twice? <laughs> First one sucked enough. That's good. I'm strong now. I did that once in 1987. <laughs> the first thing we covered in hard things, hard thing number one was forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is hard. To reconcile after forgiveness is harder, which is why a lot of people don't do it. They might forgive, but they never restore the relationship. And because of it, you have removed an asset that God wants you to have in your life. Yep. James 5, 13 through 16, we've covered this, and I'm not going to redo it again, but James 5, 16 specifically says to confess your faults one to another. Amen. You'll not find a verse in the entire New Testament that tells you to confess your sins to God. You won't find it. It's not in there. I've read it multiple times. It ain't in there. Our responsibility in this new covenant, we've been made right with God. Jesus' blood forever stands against any failure, sin, uh, problem, mistake that you've ever made. You don't need to get forgiveness from God. He forgave you before you did it. But you do need to get forgiveness from the people that you hurt. Yep, hear that quietness? Hard thing number one. That's why it's number one. We all know this truth and don't do it. We even pray it, the Lord's Prayer. Right? Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. You know how many people are wishing that they don't have the, the benefits or the effects of the Lord's Prayer? Whoa, 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 I didn't know that the forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer was contingent on my forgiveness. I take it back. God, just forgive me, not in accordance with how I forgive others. And everybody in here, I got gotcha, you, because everybody in here, you said the Lord's Prayer like 100 times. So you said it like 100 times, you're stuck now. So now you just need to go get forgiveness. Hard thing number two, being humble and authentic. I had a little dose of this myself this morning. I had confessed in the prayer circle of some things that the Lord is calling me up to and some, some insecurities and fears that allowed, uh, that allowed me not to grow to the person that I should have been. I stood in front of my people and confessed. And you know what they did? They punched me and then kicked me while I was down and you're a terrible pastor and we're out of this church, you stink. They prayed for me. Yep. I, I'm not just the president of Hair Club for Men, I'm also a member. <laughs> All the middle-aged people in the room know what I just said. I don't get it. <laughs> That, he, he just misses the hair. 
he, he remembers before he was born again. <laughs> I had hair back then. Everything changes. Being humble and authentic is what heroes do. You know, uh, a weak person, a fearful person can hide all their stuff. You can be a hoarder in the home of your heart and from the outside, nobody will know. My best friend in high school, his mom was a hoarder. And when I went over to his house, I don't want to muck anything up. When I would get suspended from school <laughs> for fighting, because <sighs> I didn't want to be at school, uh, we eventually got a principal that figured out that I was literally getting into fights to get suspended because I didn't want to be at school, and she gave me an in-school suspension. She pulled a desk into her office. You could have pulled my fingernails out with rusty pliers, and it would have been better than sitting in her office for seven and a half hours. I never got suspended again after that. That was my last suspension ever. I never got into another fight. I was, I ended up on the honor roll my senior year. That, <laughs> that woman was smart. <clears throat> but before she came along, I would get in fights all the time and get suspended because I didn't want to be at school. And when I was suspended, I didn't want my mom to know, hey, Ma. I forged your name a bunch of times. I'm confessing my faults. Let's all pray for me for lying about my mom. And so I would wake up, pretend to go to school. Oh, boy. I forgot my mom was in here. <laughs> I'd wake up, pretend to go to school, and I'd go over to my buddy's house, and I'd drink his dad's beer and smoke cigarettes. And at 2.45, whenever school was supposed to be out, I'd go walk home and with my backpack and like, hey, Ma, home from school. Good, you're such a good little Steven. I know, Mom, I'm your favorite son. Yes, you are. But when I would go to, when I would go to my buddy's house, his, their, his mom was crazy hoarder. They had stuff in boxes that had never been opened. That was like 10 years old. And you had to come in the house and you'd, and then you'd get to the chair and smoke cigarettes and eat Doritos and watch TV and drink beer. And then when it's time to go, and it was a big house, a big house. And from the outside, they had this awesome, big, middle-class house. Everything was paid off. And you would never know until you opened that front door and you're like, whoa. How do you get in? Well, right, right through there. You know how many Christians, that's their heart? Right? Did you see my Facebook profile? Did you see how pretty I am? And all my, and my family, you see, we're all sitting there and we're holding the Bible. Amen. And we go to church. Call Pastor Steve, check the attendance. Hey, can I come in your house? Whoa, 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 whoa. You just stay right on out there. Hey, we'll just sit on the porch and drink lemonade together. And, and I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of believers that I know that we sit on the porch and drink lemonade. Because I am not coming in that house. Neither is Jesus. It's easy to hide, especially in our world. It is easy. Because people are, I mean, I hate to say it, but people are really gullible. They believe you. When you lie to them, if you lie with the right face and you smile just right and you got the right kind of body language, be like, yep, that, that, they, this is what they said. They lied. No, they did not. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. I have this conversation a lot with people. You know they lied. No, no they, they would never lie to me. Oh, okay. That hard thing number two is where we covered... For those of you that are not fat, it was a fun message last week. I used fat a lot. 
and people cringed a lot. So I'm not gonna say any of that any, anymore because I wanna leave here today without my tires being flattened. And so we're gonna move to hard thing number three, which is heroes can fly. Told you, you gotta do hard things, you gotta fly. What do I mean by fly? That means you stand against the gravity of this culture. Amen. You are not pulled down by the same things that pull down the rest of this culture. You do not have the same morals that this culture has. You do not have the same passions that this culture has. You fly against the currents and the gravity of this culture. The things that affect everybody else do not affect you the same way because you've flown above. Amen. Hard thing number three, heroes can fly. Cultural morality is now defined by situational ethics and not a holy God through his word. Situational ethics is well, this is probably wrong, but in this moment, it's okay. It's probably wrong to send kids to public school and show them and teach them the things that public school is doing. But in this day and age, they need to know that maybe they were born a little boy, but now they're a little girl. It, it would have been wrong 10 years ago, but today it's right. I mean, you can see that from the politicians because they voted against homosexual marriage 10, 20 years ago, and now they're the literal proponents of it. No, redefine marriage. But you said back then that marriage was one man and one woman. Well, things have changed. What changed? The people voting for me. What changed? Well, my paycheck. They said if I start talking about Jesus at work, they'll fire me. So you want to stay there? Do you leave Jesus at home? Come, Lord, you can't come in here. I'm going to go in here and make some money. You just stay right there. I'll be right back out in eight hours. Situational ethics. Depending on the situation, you can do whatever you want. This is, popular, this is popularity, which is another word for the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare, but anybody that puts their trust in the Lord shall be safe. You got it. Here's the two choices here in this verse. Trusting God or fearing man. If you make it that simple in some of your decisions, it actually makes it a lot less complicated. Personal morality, this is even worse. We understand that there's situational ethics and cultural morality, but now let's drill down into each of us. And, I, and I've heard Christians tell me this, well, you know, what's right for another person is not right for me. And I've actually paused people like, you, but you're a Christian. Yeah, but it's different for me. Why? Because God has one set of morals for you and another set for me and then another set for someone else who's more holy than you and another set for somebody else who's less holy than you. You know, God just, you know, he grades on a curve, right? You're actually a D minus, but not everybody can be a B, so we'll just give the whole class a B. This is not the way God works. You don't have personal morality. There's morality and then it's your opinion of it. And just so you know, if you're designing morality, that is only the job of God. Every time you determine what, what is moral, instead of referring back to what God says is moral, you have removed God from divinity and you have placed yourself in that place. He is no longer the judge He's just random a judge. Yep, got kind of quiet. It is nearly impossible to, de to detach the concept of heroism from morality. We only call heroes those whom we admire and wish to emulate. Nobody in here said, ah, oh, Hitler is a hero. 
Why? Because we only put the, we only put the term, the adjective of hero, on people that do great things. Specifically, moral people. We need heroes primarily because our example of hero defines our impersonal intended image. You know, when I was a kid, I was convinced by society that gangster rap was my heroes. Easy E. Easy E was my hero. I could, I could right now rap one of his raps. I hate to say it, but I'm telling you, <laughs> I could rap radio right now. I was, I know, you can shake your head all you want. Easy E was my guy. He was my hero. You know what Easy E was? A womanizer, drug user, alcoholic, pimp, liar, manipulator. So therefore, what was my hero? What you make a hero in your life, you will try to emulate. You will determine that that is the character that you're going to try to achieve. Going back to what Bob said, if it's some sports figure, you don't even know anything about their morals or their characters. You know that they throw footballs. Ooh, incredible. How about MTV stars? Well, they don't even have MTV anymore, I don't think. Music stars, Hollywood stars. You know how many young people's rooms I've walked into and they're plastered with all these people in Hollywood that divorce, drug user, oh, suicide. I know. We, we started a band when I was young. I was, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me today? <laughs> I was the lead singer of a Nirvana wannabe band. And so Kurt Cobain was the guy, and he committed suicide. He blew his head off with a shotgun yeah. while he was high. Yeah. And he was a hero of mine. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, you act all grungy, and you don't take a shower, and somehow you still get Katamaria? I know, supernatural. <laughs> What you make a hero in your life, you're going to try to emulate that person. You're going to exalt their character, their morality, their way of thinking, their way of life to something that you want. So how important is it to pick the right heroes? I don't hate sports because I hate sports. I actually am a very athletic person. I love to play stuff. I'll throw a ball or throw a Frisbee or outrun Ryan anytime you give me a chance. <laughs> I just hate what it's turned into. They've made it woke, they've made it left, now you gotta wear pink shoes and promote stuff that is anti-Christ so you can throw a football? I hate pink. You guys already know that. That's true, that's true. We need heroes primarily because our example of hero defines our intended personal image. We mostly define our morals by the heroes we choose, and our morals, things like courage and honor and justice, they define us. You know what defines you is not your driver's license picture, it's who you are, your character. That's what defines you. And I, I, you want me to tell you how to have more people in your life that are actually authentic, real, and love you the right way, have a, be a person of good character. Good character attracts people to you. They want to be your friend because you don't lie and cheat and steal and manipulate them. They want to be in your life because you're real and you're authentic. Our heroes embody all the qualities we would like to possess and all the ambitions we would like to accomplish. A person who chooses Jesus as a hero is going to have a very different sense of what human aspiration involves than someone who chooses Madonna. And you do know, Madonna's got more Instagram followers than Jesus. Well, I'm not really an Instagram follower because she's a hero of mine. Really? Then why are you? Heroes do hard things. 
And one of the hard thing, number three, hard thing, is you fly above the morality of this culture. Jesus did it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard it said, to the ancients do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Right? Thou shalt not murder. That's moral. Jesus comes along and says, hey, I got a hard thing for you. You know, it's easy to not murder. Unless you got kids. <laughs> it's easy to not murder. For real. Like, most people can control themselves. Okay, I'm not going to. I mean, most people can control themselves to the point where they, don't even, they wouldn't even strike another person. And we think like, well, I didn't murder anybody, so I'm keeping the Ten Commandments, right? Jesus is like, oh, aren't you special? That's not the standard. Jesus comes along and says, but I tell you. So Jesus one-ups. He goes for the hard thing. Instead of the easy thing of don't kill, he comes along and says, I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Wait, what? Well, we all get angry, Jesus. You don't have to. There's no law that says you have to sin. Amen? Or oh me, somebody. You know, we've been trained this. Well, you have to fail. Why? Because everybody does. Are you everybody? Well, we have to sin. We have to think bad thoughts. We got to get angry. We have to, why? Someone answer me why. Because the only why you're going to have is because everybody does. And then I'm going to say, Jesus. Well, not him. What nature and character are you supposed to have? Well, Jesus is, but not really. I know, not like really being born again. It's just a fake thing that we use. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery, already committed. When I was a kid, looking ain't touching. Ooh, getting me new sunglasses because it's summer. All the guys know. <laughs> looking ain't touching, right, fellas? There's, what's this? What's Jesus with this looking's touching? No, not even looking's touching. Looking's adultery. Jesus. Do you know how hard that is? Yeah. Yeah, he knows. He did it. Heroes do hard things. They fly above the culture. The gravity of this culture says, well, you can look at everything you want to look. It, no, you can't. And there's this whole war. You know, I hate yoga pants. You guys know this. I hate Hate yoga pants. Yoga pants came from hell and stuck into a magazine somewhere and then they were auto-shipped to every girl's house. And I'm not going to go there. There's this whole war of, well, guys, stop looking. Keep your eyes to yourself. Okay. I'm okay with that. You should be able to walk in this church stark raven naked and not one guy turn their head. I wish we were that holy. <laughs> I wish we were that holy. I really do. And we're not. Ladies, put on display what you want people to see. Your heart. Because if you attract them to your body parts, don't get mad when some guys are buying. And guess what kind of guy you don't want buying? So should we keep our eyes to ourselves? Yes. Should a woman make sure that we're not trying to be tempted with keeping our eyes to ourselves? Yes. The, the solution is really simple. Like we all have responsibility. I'm not going to tempt my brother and my brother doesn't have a chance to be tempted. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't lust. Don't look. Do the hard thing. What's the hard thing? Dress right and keep your eyes to yourself. Yeah. 
If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Fellas, after church, we're going to have an altar line right here. <laughs> and if your eye went wayward at all last week or today, you, you line up right here. I got a pocket knife, and we're popping out eyes. And hopefully you have a good week before next week because you're coming back blind. You only got two. Was it worth it? Why did Jesus say it this way? If it's really that important that he actually says, like, if your eye is offending you, pop it out. Does he really want us to mutilate ourselves? Of course not. That would violate other scriptures. He is saying this is how important these things are to do the hard thing. Do the hard thing. Be willing to do the hard thing. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Just so you know, Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount as the new Moses. This is why the Sermon on the Mount was so important. Jesus, the new Moses, went up a mountain and taught the people. Moses went up the mountain and taught the people the Levitical law. Jesus went up the mountain and taught the Sermon on the Mount. Moses' law was legalism. Jesus' law was the law of love. Heroes do hard things. They live above the gravity, the pull, the morality of this world because they do what's right, not because it feels good. All right, please rise. All the guys line up over here. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.